0: abgenommen bedauwd.
1: Mister, frequency.
2: Here's your pass to the Globe Theater. is the Globe Theatre, the radio playhouse especially for men and women of the Armed Forces of the United Nations. Just as the Globe Theatre has meant the best in entertainment since the days of Shakespeare, today it means the best in radio drama for service men and women all over the globe. Here to tell you about tonight's play is your host at the Globe Theatre, Herbert Marshall.
3: Thank you and hello everyone. Your favorite seat is ready and waiting for you here at the Globe Theatre. No extra charge for lodges. And tonight's bill is one that I trust will be well worth the hearing. There is one type of character that every actor longs to play, whether he be Sir Aubrey Smith or Roddy McDowell. That is the role of the quick-witted romantic adventurer who moves through Monte Cristo-esque experiences, confronted with innumerable dangers, but usually confounding his adversaries by sharp thinking and subtle humor. Always, of course, there is a lovely girl who makes the confounding all the more worthwhile. As I say, such is the part that every actor longs to play. Now, there are decided advantages about being your host here at the Globe Theatre, for that means that I am also the casting director. And when a fat, juicy part of the title I've just described turns up, whom do you suppose was chosen to portray it? Well, not Sir Aubrey Smith or Roddy McDowell. I need only add that the title of this play is The Man Called X. What happens is of an exciting nature. I think you'll agree. So, uh, let's up the curtain and let the play begin. Tonight, he finds himself involved with murder, music, and a blonde Madonna. But at the moment, he and Nancy, his best girl, are sitting in a booth in a smart cocktail lounge in midtown Manhattan.
4: Ken, darling. Uh, yes, dear? You'll get a kink in your neck staring at that blonde. Why don't you just go over and sit with her at the bar? Mm-hmm. I won't mind.
3: Well, Nancy, I look at other women only to remind myself that not one of them can compare with you, my sweet.
4: Oh, that's better, Angel.
3: Pietro. Yes, Yes, sir. Uh, two martinis with onions. Yes.
4: Oh, I don't know why I ever fell in love with you, Jim. You know, I, I should have gone for a really attractive gent. Like that one over there. Where? At the bar, sitting next to that blonde gal you've
5: been ogling. You see him? Yes. Why, great Scott. Hmm? Bill.
3: Bill Nesbitt. Huh? Somebody call me? Bill, over here. Oh, for the love of <laughs> Jim Thurston! I haven't seen you since, since last college reunion. Nancy, this is Bill Nesbitt, my old roommate, and the best all-American tackle ever. Bill, this is my fiancée, Nancy Bessington. She thinks she's a reporter. <laughs> I'm glad to meet you, Nancy. <laughs> oh,
4: thanks, Bill.
3: I've been following your career, Ken. Congratulations. You always were interested in solving unsolvable puzzles. How about you? I understand you're, you're the finest synthetic chemist in the country. Mm, I've done a little in synthetics. <laughs> you're a drink, sir. Fine. Join us, Bill.
4: What? And take him away from his beautiful blonde. What blonde? That girl sitting next to you at the bar.
3: Oh, she's not with me. I don't even know her.
4: Oh, and fine. Sit with us, huh?
3: Well, I've still got half a drink at the bar. I'll get it.
4: He seems like a nice guy.
3: He is. Hey, this is swell seeing you again, Ken. Go on, sit down. What are you doing? Well, I'm uh, on my way to Italy. Italy? Sounds mighty mysterious. Secret stuff. Uh, Say, so have uh, either of you the time? I... Uh,
4: 410.
3: Oh, gee, I've got to make a phone call to the office. When do you leave? Well, I've got to catch a bus at the airline terminal in 15 minutes. Don't have too much time. No, I'll uh, be right back. I wonder why Billy's going to Italy. Part of the place for a civilian to go these days.
4: Oh, stop acting like a bird dog in October.
3: Darling, you know I promised you I'd settle down.
4: And I'm going to see to it that you keep that promise, baby. Bartender. Fender. Yes, sir. Oh, looks like your blonde friend is shoving off. How much do I owe you?
2: Quick,
4: please tell me. Well, that'll be uh, 75 cents, please. Here you are. I think she
2: dresses
3: in horrible taste. Oh, Nancy, aren't you being a little hard on her? Hey,
4: lady, come back. Lady, you left change
5: out of a $5 bill.
3: Now, I wonder why she was in such a rush.
4: Mm, probably just remembered her date with her boyfriend.
3: Maybe so. Pardon me, darling, will you? Mm-hmm. Pietro, where's the phone booth? All right, there, sir. Oh, thank you. Hey, Bill. Are you all right? Hey, Bill! Good Lord. Ken, Ken, what's happening? It's Bill. dead. Oh,
4: no. How?
3: Pietro. Yes, sir? Don't wash that glass he was drinking from.
4: Oh, why not, Ken?
3: I have a hunch the police chemist will find it was full of poison. Uh- <laughs>
4: good to get back in my own apartment. You know, I'm not as used to looking at corpses as you are, and I? I feel a little sick.
1: Yeah,
3: I know. I don't feel particularly chipper myself. Oh, poor Bill. He would have won the Nobel Prize for Chemistry one of these days.
4: Ken, who could have done such a thing?
3: I don't know.
4: What? What's that you're looking at?
3: Something I found in Bill's pocket.
4: Oh, but, Kim, the police should have that.
3: They will, after I've read it. Huh. Oh.
4: Well, what does it say?
3: There's just a name and address on it. Look.
4: Luigi Antonelli, Umbrati, Italy.
3: Umbrati. Never even heard of it. Must be just a tiny village.
4: Hmm, wonder who Antonelli is.
3: Well, you can bet whoever Antonelli is, he's mixed up in this affair somehow.
4: Hmm, I wonder in what way.
3: So do I. And I intend to find out.
4: Oh, no, Ken, no, not Italy. Why poke your nose into
1: this?
3: Because I don't like old friends of mine being poisoned. I'm funny that way. <laughs> of Umbratis. See, senor Not much of it left, huh? The Nazis. They may ruin everything before the Americans have come. Well, they didn't ruin your spaghetti. It's a masterpiece. Gracias, senor All I say is give me back my five-five. Yeah, before we... Yeah, before we stop. You've made a great mistake.
5: Come on across. crossing.
2: make you look like Mussolini's
3: gold. What's all the trouble over there? Those G.I.s look as though they're going to lose their tempers. The American soldiers. (laughs) They know like the souvenirs, what they buy from Castro the peddler's. See him over there, Castro the peddler. Eh? <laughs>
1: That's good.
3: You know him? That, my friend, is an understatement. I must meet Castro the peddler. This
5: is our last time we Come on, boys. One, two. Here, yeah, yeah, here, boys.
3: What's the trouble?
2: So Mr. Awesome.
3: Wilson. Zell Smith, what mess are you in now? Oh,
2: you are
3: a savior. What's he done, you? boys?
2: Uh, this strip that tells us he's a genuine Italian curiosity. Look what mine says on the bottom.
3: Hmm. Made in New York, USA. Egon. Give the gentleman back their money. Oh, but
2: Mr. If you Sirson. don't,
3: they'll tear you limb from limb, and I'll sit and
2: applaud. Mr. Thurston, you are a sadist. Here you are, fellows, $20. That's
3: better. I'm shocked, Edgar. You are a common peddler. There's more to this than meets the eye, though, isn't there? No, no, I'm just a poor peddler that peddles. Yes, yes. I can make you a better financial proposition.
5: Mr. Thurston, those words are like the
2: soft wings of a bird. How much?
3: Fifty. One hundred. Fifty. All right. What do I feel? Not yet. Do you know a man called Antonelli?
2: You are lucky. I am more than familiar with that name. Who is he? Luigi Antonelli was professor of music at the University of Florence. What the devil would Bill
3: want with a professor? Did you say was? Yes. Alas...
5: Signor Professor Antonelli died
3: yesterday.
5: Today is his funeral.
3: Stand back here, Goss, here behind this tombstone. I dislike graveyards, in things. But this funeral will fascinate me. Why are there only those two mourners? And our signor Antonelli had but few friends. Well, who are those two women? His sister and her daughter. They've just arrived from home recently. Oh, so they just came down from Rome, did they? Yes. Well... A few days ago, I saw that girl sitting at a bar in New York.
5: It's impossible. She
6: just came Hey, out. Guy, I
3: agree with me to tell you this, but you are lying.
6: <sighs> Mr.
3: Thurston,
5: if you did not pay me so well, I would be hurt to the quick.
3: How well do you really know these two women? Tell me the truth.
5: I have never spoken to them.
3: For $50 more, would you tell me the real truth? huh. in that case. <laughs> I thought so. But cash? In a cemetery. Well, the dead will not object to a small financial transaction. Cash, please. Oh, all right, here you are.
5: <sighs> Good. Now, the truth is this. I pretend to be a peddler. Those charming ladies pay me to stay in this town so I can notify them should anyone try to get near their house.
3: Why are they so eager to keep people away from that house?
5: Who knows? Perhaps, I merely say, perhaps, Signor Antonelli is not in that coffin at all. Be back soon from the
3: funeral. Hmm, this mansion is quite a dump. Huh. The Palazzo Antonelli dates back to the Borgias. Where would Antonelli be? I do not
5: know. I've never seen him.
3: Where does that staircase lead?
5: Huh? Oh, to the bedchamber. Let's try it. The, the women will be back soon.
3: Sorry, Jay Gong.
5: But this staircase was built to see.
1: Listen. Behind that door. Hmm.
3: Door's locked. Signor Antonelli, can you hear me?
2: It gives me goosebumps to listen to that.
3: Sounds out of his mind.
2: But why is he being kept a prisoner? I will give you fifty if you were to offer me a million, I could not tell you. These women confide very little to me. In
3: your slipping, Edgar. Signor Antonelli, I am an American. I know you are being held a prisoner. Can you hear me?
2: This is like a lunatic asylum. Let us get out of here.
3: (laughs) Yes, the ladies will be back soon anyway. I don't want to meet them this way.
2: Mr. Thurston, what does this signor Antonelli mean to you?
3: I haven't the faintest idea yet. Maybe I'll know more after a formal call I intend to pay this afternoon. for my condolences at your loss. I'm Signor Thurston from America. I studied music under your uncle at the University of Florence.
4: Won't you come in? Mama, this is Signor Thurston. He knew Uncle Luigi and he has come to pay his respects. You come at an unhappy
7: time, Signore. But since you are here, won't you sit down?
3: Signora, I too feel your loss very keenly. Your brother taught me much about music. And more about life, he was a great man.
7: You are right. I'm glad to know that someone young and a foreigner still holds his memory dear.
3: What, um, what was the cause of his death, Signora?
7: While my daughter and I were at Rome, the Nazis occupied this village.
6: They knew how my brother felt toward them. <laughs> Don't cry, Mama. The past is over.
3: I came here to Umbrati, hoping to talk over old times with him. I was shocked to hear... You're
6: very kind, Signor
3: all, no.
7: Uh, we are being ungracious, Tina. I will get some wine for Signor Thurston. Yes, Mama. The Nazi swine in their retreat from you wonderful Americanis at least forgot to loot our wine cellar. I believe you will enjoy our wine. It is the finest in this part.
6: You will excuse me?
3: Certainly. Uh, strange.
4: Why do you look at me like that?
3: I came to find death, and i found beauty.
4: You are making love to me, Signore. You choose a most unhappy time.
3: When a man is swept off his feet, as I am now, love does not wait on birth or death.
4: I had heard how impetuous Americans were. No, 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 signore.
3: One tender kiss of, shall we say, friendship.
4: What would my mother think?
3: She's still in the wine cellar.
4: Well, then, one.
3: Hmm. Your name? Tina. 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 I could compose a tone poem to that name.
4: Please, Mother is coming back.
3: Mother has no sense of timing.
4: Uh,
7: Those steps are hard on an old woman. Uh, Here, Poor Signor Thurston's glass.
3: What an exquisite goblet.
7: Yes. Botticelli made it for our ancestors.
3: Probably the Borgias?
7: Signore does not know his history. The Borgias were poisoners.
3: So they were.
4: Here, Signore. Taste it and tell me if you ever had a finer barolo. Yes. Drink, Signore.
3: But, uh, neither of you joining me?
7: No, Signore. Then
3: I insist your daughter at least take part in an old American custom. It is called the Loving Cup. When a man meets a girl as exquisite as you are, Tina, he asks her to drink first from his glass.
7: Tina, is too young to drink. Oh,
3: surely an exception can be made. My
7: daughter accepts your flattery, Signore. However... It isn't
3: flattery. To look at your daughter is to have some of the chill taken from the memory of her dead uncle.
7: You have not touched your wine, Signore.
3: I wouldn't think of it until your daughter first sipped from my glass.
7: I have told you I cannot allow my daughter to... But I insist. It is difficult to know where flattery ends and rudeness begins with you.
3: Come now, Tina. Surely you can't object to drinking your own wine? Or can you? Of
4: course not. No. Certainly not. Well, then. Very well. Tina, No. You did not really think I was going to drink it, did you, Signore?
3: Considering that it would probably kill you, I doubted it very much.
4: And now the comedy is over, Signore. Oh,
3: I see you know how to use a revolver also.
4: Yes, and I must insist that you stand quite still, or I will shoot a hole between your very attractive eyes. Egon. Yes,
3: Signore. Ah, uh-huh. Egon, of course, hiding behind the screen. I'm
5: coming, Signora. Poor Mr. Ferstum. You should not have come here. Egon,
4: take care of this gentleman.
3: As always, it is a pleasure to take care of Mr. Ferrisco.
4: Show him
7: to the cellar and tie him up securely.
3: Just my luck. Here I am having a quiet little party with two of the loveliest ladies in Italy. And I have to go to a nasty cellar with (laughs) Aegon. Aegon. Don't you think that gun is superfluous? With you, I take no chances. Where is your shame? Taking my money and then telling those women who I am.
4: Mr. X, believe me, it is very difficult to have both a conscience and a bank book at the same time.
3: Oh, dear, what wouldn't you do for money? Offhand, I can't really imagine. How much did they pay you to double-cross me? One thousand lira. I thought so. A thousand lira. Not worth the paper it's printed on. But they've... Of course not.
4: You're beginning to make me very nervous.
3: <laughs> Italy is an occupied country, but that, that money wasn't worth one good American nickel. If I thought you were telling me the truth. Have then... I ever lied to you? Yes. Yes, but always with such charm, Mr. Eggs. <laughs> Are they asleep by now?
5: Oh, yes. I heard Tina say that they would take Antonelli across the German lines just before dawn.
3: You have no sentiment, Agon. Think of that poor old man, Locker. For
5: $500, I could reap
3: buckets and at the same time cut those ropes. $200. Five. Either my price or I sit here and starve. Which will it be? Not really. I cannot let you die. It's a deal. Oh, it is no use unless I can get to Antonelli's room.
5: By the nearest chance. I have a key to the room for 50 more. No,
3: 200 net. What can I do? My heart will not allow me to permit you to be eaten by those rats. Wait, I cut you free. Ah, uh, you have a noble soul, Egon. Sometime? It's amazing how money will make me a softest party. Eh? <laughs> there you are, free now, and here is the key. Thank you. Now come with me upstairs to Antonelli. I'm sorry, Mister Thurston.
4: I must refuse. I'm really quite tired. I've had enough and
2: made enough for one day. And so, Mister X, we come now to the parting of the ways. I go back to town, and you go to. Yes, that's
3: probably right, Edgar. Who are you? I don't know you. Go
5: away. I don't know you.
3: Please try to understand what I'm saying. It's very important. I've come to take you away. Away from those women.
5: I don't know you. I don't. Yes, yes,
3: I know all that. How can I make you understand? I'll take you to a hospital. I'll take care of you. You'll be well again. stop humming and listen to me.
5: I don't know you. I do not know you. I do not My
3: name is Ken Thurston.
5: Go away. You want to hurt me like the women hurt me.
3: No. I'm a friend of Bill Nesbitt. And a friend of yours. Ah. Now, I believe you. Great Scott. But I had to make sure. Thank heaven you've come. You mean you've been. It was the only way to keep those women from finding anything out. So you pretended to be out of your mind. Yes. I fooled them completely. Now, how is my, uh, friend, uh, Bill Nesbitt? He's dead. Dead? Yes, murdered. Poisoned by your niece, Tina. She is not my niece. She and the other one are agents of the Gestapo. I thought so. But why did they kill Nesbitt? He wanted me to sell to his company my brother's formula. Your brother? Yes, before the war, my brother was one of the great chemists of Europe. Oh, so that was it. What happened to your brother? He was killed by the Nazis. You say he had a formula that Bill Nesbitt wanted? Yes, for a new type of uh, synthetic. What synthetic? Well, I really don't know. I'm a musician. I know nothing of science. But uh, my brother handed the formula to me to keep for the day when uh, Italy would be free. Did the women get the formula from you? No, no, no. They tried to get it. Day after day. Day after day. (laughs) But I fooled them. Good work, Signor Antonelli. Have you got it with you? Yes. Where is it? In this room. So you hid it.
1: Where? Mm-hmm. Oh, no.
3: What happens, Peter? this is no, no time to... That's <laughs> it. That's the formula. I don't understand. What do you mean? When a musician plays the tune in the key of E, using B-flat as the code for the letter A. I see. A musical code. Exactly. Played and varied five times. Only I know the variations. When it's decoded, the entire formula is spelled out. And you've kept it in your mind all this time? Yes, yes, I assure you it has been nerve-wracking to hum that same tune over and over, but uh, I had to do it so I wouldn't forget.
7: Not quite so fast there,
3: Mr. X. Ah, oh, good evening, ladies. shall I say good morning.
7: This is no time for your cheap American wit, Signor Thurston. My daughter is a very good shot. I would advise you to stand quite still. What are you going to do with me? It's all right, Antonelli.
3: We are taking
4: you to Berlin. Ah, they will beat me in Berlin. Uh, Don't beat me again. Shut up,
3: you fool. So you're taking him to Germany?
4: Yes. We have doctors there who can make that idiotic mind of his spill out its secrets. Keep still, you dithering lunatic. Let him alone, Mother. He
7: is hard. cannot stand that humming over and over again. If he does not stop humming, I'll gag him.
5: Mm -hmm. Uh, Don't hurt me. I'm just an old man who hates fascism. Take your hands
3: off of me. Smart work, Antonelli. Hold up. No, you don't, you little witch. Let me go. Get the gun, Antonelli. I have it, Mr. X. Fine. Don't move, ladies. Shall I shoot them? Both of them? What is
4: this? I
3: don't understand. It's very simple. Signor Antonelli is not the fool you presumed him to be.
4: He is not insane.
3: No, signor. It's you and your daughter. And people like you who are the insane ones. But now I think I shall do with you what they do with all mad dogs. Mother...
4: I
7: am afraid. Do not let him kill us, Senor Thurston.
3: It will be a pleasure to destroy you both. No, Senor Antonelli. Let's not use their tactics. There will be judges for them. Judges made up of your own people.
5: Hold up your hands, ladies. Oh. You've caught them, Mr. say.
3: I'm afraid your heroics will come a little late, Edgar.
5: Eh, oh. Is there anything I can do?
3: I'm afraid not. Go to sleep now. Did you find out why they wanted this old man? Naturally. Why? Signor Antonelli had a formula. Tell me, Mr. X, what was it, huh? If the first note stood for chlorine and the next three notes stood for oxygen, carbon, and nitrogen... Yes, yes, what would it all mean? Wouldn't you like to know? Mm-hmm. Tonight's Globe Theatre production of The Man Called X. I know you'll join me in thanking Bernie Schoenfeld for his excellent script, Felix Mill for composing and conducting the score, and Bill Robson who presided in the control room. By the way, the role of Aegon was played by Hans Conried, as a farewell gesture to an active life in radio theatres and as a prelude to an even more active life in theatres of a different nature. Mr. Conried, I might add relinquish the finest head of hair in the Western Hemisphere to become Private Conreed, his army serial number escaping me for the moment. Watch out for him. If his performance as Aegon is any indication, he'll be a slippery man to deal with on the evening of payday. By the way, it was uh, really was fun to play the role of Ken Thurston for you, and I trust you enjoyed the adventures of A Man Called X. As for the next performance from the Globe, you'll hear Walter Abel, Louise Alberton... Ralph Bellamy and David Bruce in a neat little thriller called Phantom Lady. Here's a short preview.
4: That hit him
7: hard. I could tell by the way he looked. By the way he watched me all night as I sat there at the bar just staring at him, never saying another word. And when he left at closing time, I followed him. He managed to walk rather slowly at first, almost defiantly, as if he didn't care. And then he went a little faster, and faster, and faster until he was almost running, and then suddenly he stopped and turned.
4: What do you want? Why do you keep on following me?
7: You have something to tell me.
4: You're wasting your time.
7: You know what's going to happen to him. You can prevent it. Get it off your
4: conscience. Don't ask me. Go ask the guy that give it to me. Gave you what? Nothing, nothing. It was money, wasn't it? Somebody gave you a bra. I ain't talking, I tell you, and I ain't staying around here either. I'm going to get so far away from here. Oh,
1: Look out!
3: It's going to be a good show, and I know you'll want to hear it. So, jump down on the inside of your helmet liner that you have an appointment at the Globe Theatre with Phantom Lady starring Walter Abel, Louise Alberton, Ralph Bellamy, and David Bruce. I'll be on hand to show you your seat and take care of the introductions. Till next performance, then, this is Herbert Marshall wishing you all the best, and I'll be seeing you.
2: theater with herbert marshall as host and master of ceremonies the globe theater is presented for servicemen and women of the allied armed forces all over the globe listen for our next globe theater production soon ladies and gentlemen mr herbert
3: marshall as the man called x look to lockheed for leadership Of Lockheed Aircraft present Herbert Marshall in The Man Called X, produced and directed by Jack Johnstone. <laughs> the Man Called X. He is the man who crosses the ocean as readily as you and I cross town. He is the man who travels today as you and I will travel tomorrow. He is the man who fights today's war in his unique fashion so that tomorrow's peace will make the world a neighborhood for all of us. He is the man called X. Tonight, Mr. X takes us to India, land of jeweled Maharajas and beautiful princesses. But as the story opens, Mr. X is not yet within earshot of softly tinkling temple bells. For the moment, he's traveling down New York's Great White Way. And the lady sharing the cab with him is not an Indian princess, but Miss Nancy Bessington, anxious to arrive on time for the opening of a new musical comedy. Driver, I want you to drop us at the Gotham Towers, corner 45th Street. Okay.
0: Ken, that's miles away from the theater. But. What are you up to?
3: Donnie, I'm trying to kill two birds with one stone to get rid of this Barney Oldfield and to deliver a letter.
0: Letter? Are you by any chance working for the post office department? No,
3: dear, but there's a department in Washington that'll be plenty interested in it.
0: Washington? And you whisper that in my ear ten minutes before curtain time. Oh, I
3: was going to tell you.
0: Oh.
3: Uh, but this fellow's driving, all I could think of was the police department. <laughs>
2: 24th floor. Penthouse elevator to your right, down the hall. Uh, just push the button. It's automatic.
3: Come on, Nancy. Okay. Now, this whole affair won't take us three minutes, sweet. All I have to do is to deliver the letter to a certain Amar Pahalani.
0: Who?
3: Well, he's the representative of an East Indian Maharaja who's been here negotiating some deal or other.
0: Well, what's in the letter, Ken?
3: I think it's a contract. The boys didn't choose to tell me, and I didn't choose to ask because I didn't want to be dragged into the matter.
0: Here, let me push the button for the elevator.
3: You better push it again. If mm-hmm. not, uh, Oh, here come. comes. Oh. Stand aside, dear. The door's sliding open.
0: Oh. Oh, there's someone in here.
3: Someone was in there. Oh. This man's dead. Oh, well, look. Look at. Uh, look at his turban, all covered with blood.
0: Oh, don't touch him.
3: Wait, his eyes are flickering open. He's trying to speak. Mr. Pahalani?
0: Pahalani?
3: Are you Ama Pahalani?
0: He. He's trying to. He nodded. Yeah.
3: Mr. Pahalani. I'm Kenneth Thurston. I'm Mr. X. I brought your letter. A contract that must be delivered.
0: His lips are moving. He's trying to say
3: something. Yeah, let, me, let me bend closer. Oh, sorry. Can you whisper, Mr. Pahalani? Who is to get the letter? Yeah? Maharaja? Is that what you're saying? Maharaja?
0: Ken, the buzzer.
3: Yes, someone's pushed the button upstairs. Let's get out of here, quick. And stand away from the door. It's closing... Now to get downstairs fast, and then I want a taxi that can fly.
0: Ken, how in the world can you think of going to the theater now?
3: Theater? Honey, I'm going to India. Oh! Mr. Thurston, about to land, sir. Oh, wonderful city, isn't it, Stuart? Those golden roofs shining in the sun. All those graceful domes and spires. Gosh. Look out the other window, sir. See? There's the Maharaja's palace. Why, it's like a walled city in itself. Yes, sir. Look at that huge tower. I wonder what the palace looks like on the inside. Inside? I've often wondered too, sir. Well, I'll tell you all about it on my way back. You might find that rather difficult, sir. No foreigner has ever left that palace alive Sayyid, carry your back, Sayyid. Sayyid, I am elect. You are too poor, may you glorify. Hello, may Mr. Grow Thurston. Inside. Why, Aegon Zelsmith? you're chasing me again. But I'm Zagan, Mr. X. Oh, Aegon, Zagan, either one. It's like being chased by the devil. Isn't it fantastic that we should meet here in India? Not as fantastic as your costume. A man with your physique parading around in a loincloth. But, Mr. X, I'm a yogi. Oh, a yogi, is it? A yogi of great powers. I know the language of animals. I can foretell the future. I can transport you magically to any distant spot.
5: I
6: then can... you're
3: just the man I want. Transport me to the Maharaja's palace.
5: Oh, well, Mr. X, there are limits even to my powers.
3: You think your powers will increase if I gave you 50 rupees?
6: Oh, yes. I already feel much stronger. For 100 rupees, I'll take you to the Maharaja's
5: prime minister. He will be very happy to arrange an interview with the Maharaja.
3: How do you know you will be happy to arrange it? Didn't I see I can see the future? And I can still see your past, so take your hand out of my pocket. I'm sorry. You're not going to steal that letter, Zegar? <laughs> Delighted to see you, Mr. Thurston. Please have a seat. Thank you. I was... Uh... Permit me to finish. I am delighted to see you in my capacity as a private individual. But as the Maharaja's Prime Minister, I am pained to inform you that you will not be granted permission to stay. Suppose I tell you that I was sent by Ama Pahalani. And may I inquire who Ama Pahalani is? Was. He died in New York. Murdered while right on a mission for the Maharaja. As you well know. But I do not know. At no time did His Highness the Maharaja send any emissary to the United States. Well, surely Washington wouldn't have received him as an accredited representative. I am as mystified as you are, Mr. Thurston. But, but look, at, look at this envelope. It contains certain papers which must be delivered to His Highness. I know of no papers, Mr. Thurston. Is it possible that you are the victim of a practical joke? Well, Anama Pahalani must have had quite a sense of humor to let himself be murdered for a laugh. I agree with you. It's baffling. Write me the solution when you get home, because you are taking the evening plane back to America. Mr. Prime Minister, I still request that you get me into the palace. You are asking the impossible. I won't attempt miracles. No, that would probably call for a a yogi with magic powers. Rex, I will show you enough cheap. May you glory. No, Mr. X, don't trust him. He's a charlatan. It's about time you showed up, Zegon. I almost couldn't come, Mr. X. You see, this is my hour for lying on a board studded with nails. Well, I'm kind of on pins and needles myself. Now, did you arrange to get me into the palace?
6: Wait. Let us stop in front of the snake
3: charmer. Not too close to the snake, please.
6: And pretend to be watching him while I whisper to you.
3: Now listen carefully, Mr. X. Tonight I will take you to the palace. Sagon! How? When? I'm not even asking how much. The price is small,
6: only a thousand rupees. Meet me at midnight by the Babbling Brook under the palace walls.
3: Midnight, Babbling Brook. You shall get your thousand rupees. Thanks, Sagon. And I don't need to add, may you grow rich. Temple bells always go off at midnight? Yes, they ring for the souls of those who enter these palace grounds and were never seen again. Mm, Charming custom. Well, lead the way. Here, Mr. Epps. Up up these steps. There are guards about and a few tigers on the loose. Fine thing. These stairs seem endless.
6: Yes, we are going up into the tower. Here is the balcony from which they throw down the bodies.
3: The bodies of unexpected visitors, I suppose.
6: Hmm? Yes. Now climb through after me. This is the window of the Thousand Jewels.
3: Zagon, is it cricket to sneak into the Maharaja's room like this? Are you in? Jump down. This is not the Maharaja's room, Mr. X. Then where am I, Zagon? Look, I insist on seeing the Maharaja. Won't I do? Huh? Instead? Who are you? So fragile in your shimmering veils.
8: I am the Princess Radhanika the Maharaja's niece. And you are a guest in my chamber.
3: It's an exquisite chamber. Too bad that I can't stay and admire the sights.
6: Mr. X, maybe I did wrong to bring you into the Zenana, the women's quarter.
3: Man to man, Zegar. I don't object at all. Thank you. The Princess will undoubtedly lead me to the Maharaja.
8: No, you must not see him. That is why I sent for you. My uncle is a cruel, evil man. He'll us. Sit outside on my doorstep.
5: I obey, oh, princess. Goodbye, Mr. X. And may you grow happy and wide.
8: Sit by me, Mr. X. On these cushions.
3: Silken cushions. Fragrant with jasmine. Huh?
8: I'm signaling my musicians... They will play so that our conversation may not be overheard. You will find betel nuts and sweetmeats on that golden tray. Reach for the wine.
3: A jug of wine and thou. No, no, i better keep my head clear for the interview with the Maharaja.
8: Why do you keep insisting on that? Must I warn you again and again of the danger?
3: I love you for that, but why are you so concerned about a stranger like me?
8: Because you are not a stranger.
3: Press my hand like that again and I'll begin to agree with you.
8: You're not a stranger. Because we knew someone in common. Amar Pahalani.
3: Well, I'm glad to hear someone claim Pahalani for a friend. The Prime Minister denied that the man ever existed. Shh.
8: The Prime Minister was not aware that Amar went to the United States.
3: It's the Prime Minister doesn't keep up with things. Very sloppy of him not to keep track of the Maharaja's emissaries. But
8: he was not the Maharaja's emissary. I sent him to your country, Mr. X. You? To raise money. Much money.
3: Oh, don't... Don't tell me you're broke, princess. My, your, your lovely arms, I and mean, they... They glisten with emeralds and rubies. It takes
8: limitless money to overthrow the Maharaja.
3: Am I to understand that you and the late Mr. Pahalani had serious thoughts of, um, deposing the Maharaja? Yes. And
8: to kill him just as he killed my father with his own hands to gain the throne.
3: Oh, then those stories about the Maharaja's cruelty aren't just uh, publicity.
8: Someday the truth will be told that my father didn't die of malaria.
3: Malaria is quite a nuisance around here, isn't it? wonder if I'm allergic.
8: I would a thousand times rather have you die of malaria than be strangled by the Maharaja.
3: You are concerned, Princess. And you obviously don't want me to deliver the letter to His Highness in spite of Pahalani's dying request.
8: Perhaps you misunderstood him. Perhaps he said Rana not Maharaja.
3: Perhaps. His English was far from perfect. Whereas your lips speak a universal language.
8: So give me the letter. You will not find me ungrateful?
3: Ah, uh, paradise-y now.
1: Oh. <sighs> <sighs> <sighs>
8: No! Don't kiss me again. First, the letter,
3: Radanika, Why change the subject?
8: Because I must get that letter before the Maharaja arrives.
3: Let him arrive. I welcome his arrival. Your kisses have made me as bold as a lion.
8: Shh, keep your voice down. Are you deliberately trying to get him to come in here?
3: Yes, deliberately and cold-bloodedly. Please. You think I've just I just hand you that letter and leave like a cad, letting you face danger alone? sound so wild. Yes, I'm in a fever of indignation, fever, fever. Oh... Oh, Anika, feel my feel my, feel my, head. Am might kicking up a temperature? Give me the letter. I'm ill. Give me the letter and go. Go. In my condition, my my knees are giving way. Let me just uh, let me just lie here on the couch.
8: No, no, you mustn't lie down. Mr. X, sit up.
3: Malaria? Can it be Malaria?
8: No,
3: no. Why, my, my teeth are chattering. Please,
8: please, I've got the shakes. No. Oh.
3: Oh. Oh. Yogi. Mm.
8: Yogi, come in here. Mm.
6: Yogi's
3: asking uh, at your disposal, princess.
6: Mr. X
8: is either play-hacking he is ill with malaria.
6: I can cure sickness of the soul,
3: but for the body, I would need quinine. Shh.
8: You mustn't mention uh, quinine. Only the court physician has that, and he would betray us.
3: I'm chilled. Cover me. Yes, yes,
8: cover him.
3: Well, here, Mr. Rex, uh-huh. I'm putting rocks on you. All right. uh-huh.
8: No, No. Okay, we've got to get him out of here. But first, you must help me search him uh-huh. for that letter.
3: Dagon, is that you? Yes. Put blankets on me. Why? More. 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 Cover me with your jacket. But, Mr. Rex, if I give you my jacket, then I will freeze in this loincloth. Put
8: your jacket on him, Yogi. Anything to keep him quiet while we search him.
6: Well, here is my coat, Mr. Feel warmer now?
8: Put on the light, Yogi. No one must know that I'm still awake.
6: But, Princess, I always find it difficult to pick pockets in the dark.
8: The gong! Yogi, that's the signal. The Maharaja has left his chambers. Heaven help us if he enters this tower.
6: I'll blow out the lights in a minute if I can ever catch my breath.
8: Now we must wait here in the dark, Yuki. The Kong so nearer and nearer.
3: Oh, I can foretell the future, and it's not very promising. I'm
8: sorry he ever came here.
0: I'm afraid. Oh,
3: my beloved... Fill the cup that clears today of past regrets and future fears. Poetry, huh? it is delirious. Search huh?
8: This can mean death.
3: Dust unto dust, and under dust to lie. Sans wine, sans song, sans oh, singer, goodness.
1: and oh, song's end. Oh, <laughs>
3: just a moment, we will continue with the second act of tonight's exploit to The Man Called X, starring Mr. Herbert Marshall. But first, a word from the men and women of Lockheed. Ladies and gentlemen, the Lockheed Constellation is the largest, fastest, highest-flying land transport in use today. Certainly, this is an interesting statement. Yet again tonight, we of Lockheed wish to point out what these points of superiority, largest, fastest, highest flying, mean to you, the airline passenger. Now, the ability to carry heavy loads for great distances at high speed is a direct result of power and design. And these factors, power and design, built into the Lockheed Constellation, provide such things as safety and comfort and economy. The Constellation can fly high over the highest mountain ranges and high above storms and disturbing air currents. It can land and take off from any standard airport. And, this is important, it can maintain altitude and even climb on any two of its four powerful engines. Furthermore, on flights of as short as 100 miles, the Lockheed Constellation has been found to operate more efficiently and more economically than the ordinary two-engine transport you fly in today. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, safety-wise and comfort-wise and economy-wise, the Lockheed Constellation is setting brand-new standards in air transportation. Today it serves the Army Air Forces. Tomorrow it will serve you, bringing the airport in your town closer and ever closer to other cities and towns in America and to lands beyond the horizon. So again we say, remember the name, the Lockheed Constellation, another example of Lockheed leadership. We return to tonight's exploit to the man called X, starring Herbert Marshall, to find him in the scented boudoir of an Indian princess. He had come to this mysterious principality of India to deliver a letter to the ruling Maharaja, but now Mr. X is suffering from an attack of malaria and the princess is trying to steal the letter from his pocket, while gongs announce the approach of the Maharaja.
8: Yogi, the gongs sound in the tower now. The Maharaja is coming up the stairs.
6: I've looked through all the pockets of Mr. X. I can't
8: find the letter. Wait, I will draw aside the curtains. Let the moon shine in.
3: Yon rising moon looks for us again. How after after will she wax and wane? Oh, no letter. I am ready to give up and oh. magically transport myself a safe distance from here. Wait,
8: Jokey. Before ah. you leave, I must give you a note to take to the Prime Minister. I will write it here in the moonlight. Wait. While
3: well, Mister X's pockets are so convenient, I might as well collect my small fee of a thousand rupees. Ah, take the cash and let the credit go. Nor heed the rumble of the distant drum.
8: Here is the note. The Prime Minister will know what to do when he gets it
3: Before I go, I must get back the jacket that I put on Mr. X This loincloth
6: looks too informal Here, now Have
8: you got your jacket on? Yes Then go Behind that tapestry you will find a secret door
5: What? Uh, it's a dark passage uh, What is a strange smell? It's suffocating. You will get
8: used to the smell Goodbye, uh, okay, goodbye
3: uh, uh, well, Now I'm uh, alone
8: with this babbling uh, idiot What am I to do with him?
3: Ah, make the most of time we may yet spend before we too into the dust descend. Ah,
1: open the
5: door. yes, yes,
8: your highness, I'm opening it.
3: I heard voices in here. Chamberlain, bring your light. Here is the lamp, your highness. Hold it higher. Ah. Uh-huh. A man. An
8: intruder, uncle. I struggled. I, I fought him. Yes,
3: fought him with sweetmeats and betel nuts. Fought me with soft blandishments. You're all To right? keep me from disturbing your highness's slumber. Nonsense. She knows very well that I have insomnia. Rise, sir. Who are you? I'm the man called X. An amateur letter carrier. I don't beg you, Don't your...
8: listen to him. He has no letter.
3: Of course he hasn't, Rodanika. Anika. I was not born yesterday. Oh, Highness, does the name Ama Pahalani mean anything to you? Uh, yes. Yes, it means a million rupees. It means a missing contract for the sale of 10,000 pounds of chinkona bark. Then the deal involves chinkona bark, precious chinkona, from which quinine is made. Yes, tell me. Have you really got Amar's letter? He
8: hasn't. He hasn't. Have him
3: shot. In good time, Radonika. Mr. X, do not try my patience. I'm forced to, Your Highness. The letter, owing to interference with the mail, is not on me. What? Lost? Not if we hurry. Where to? To the always hospitable home of His Excellency, the Prime Minister. That's where the letter is. It's
8: a lie. Don't go with him. Don't. I
3: seldom lie, Princess, though occasionally I exaggerate things like malaria symptoms. Why don't you um slip something over your, uh, your shimmering veils and come along with us? Do so, Radonika. Then, if the fellow is a liar, Uncle will let you shoot him with Uncle's own gun.
1: No, 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 I can't. I won't go. She's trying
3: I... to escape through the window. Window of a thousand jewels. I've caught her. But I don't... Let me go. No. No, Princess. No. No, will I go? I'm carrying you to yon jasmine scented cushion. Hurry, Mr. No. X. The Prime Minister retires early. I hope you'll retire permanently. Come here, Your Highness. Just let me cover Radonika with a rug. When I tore a chunk out of her shimmering veil. There.
2: Minus.
3: Servant, where is your worthy master, that scoundrel? Why, his excellency is—he's is out. Out? Mm. Now, what excuse will you find, Mister X? The letter is coming by carrier pigeon, and that means you, Zegon, get out from under that table. Mister X, this is my hour for making myself invisible. Stand up like a man. And pick your pocket. My own pocket? This is highly unprofessional. Then I'd like to do it for you, Zegon. Oh, no, please. stop squirming. I'll have to look in your other pocket. (laughs) Don't act so kittenish. I'm ticklish. Ah, here it is. Your Highness, I have the honor of handing you the letter. Amar Pahalani's letter, sealed with his own ring. Let me open it. I had a fortune in my pocket and I didn't know it. What kind of a yogi am I? As one miracle man to another, Zagar, I switched the letter from my pocket to yours when you covered me with your jacket. Yes, yes, the contract is in order. Look, sealed, signed. And delivered, finally. And so will the Chincona bark be delivered to my country. With most quinine in the hands of the Japs, this will be vital to our men in the Pacific. What? <laughs> but... Mr. X! an explosion. Yes, look out
6: the window, flames.
3: The Chincona Warehouses, burning. Oh, no. Let's hurry there. Oh, dear. That's the run of that visiting fireman, the Prime Minister. Everything is getting clearer and clearer. Clearer with those clouds of smoke. Say, Sagan, where there's smoke, there's fire.
1: Stand
3: back, you friends are
2: back, Make way for the Maharaja. Highness, Highness a Calamity, the warehouse is in ashes. The Prime Minister is directing
3: the rescue, Your Highness. Versatile fellow, Burns the candle at both ends. You, you man, send the Prime Minister here. He's already coming. A diplomat and a fire helmet. helmet. Highness Mr. X, my friends, you must dry your tears. This tragedy was written in the Book of Fate. Are you sure it wasn't written in the note which the Princess sent you? It was, Mr. X. I peeked at the note a little. Maharaja Saab, do not listen to the yogi. He's probably in a trance. What mortal man can tell why and how chinkona bark burns? My nose can tell. And it's not chinkona that's burning. This smoke doesn't smell of quinine. Your Highness, do you trust the nose of this foreigner against no, the word? No, the Prime Minister. These warehouses were empty, systematically looted by you and the princess. And the bark stored elsewhere for eventual sale to Japan. Your Highness, I can explain... Explain uh... the murder of Uma Pahalani by your spies. Explain in your next existence. I shoot you like a dog. May you grow dead. Maybe I killed him too impulsively. Now I shall never discover where the Chincona is stored. Visit the lovely Radonika. Ask her to draw aside a priceless tapestry. Open a hidden door to a secret passage. But don't suffocate, Your Highness. I nearly choked to death. Yogi breath control not withstand. Yes, the chinkona box smelled a high heavens, Zagar. But not worse than Radonika's silken cushions. Confidentially, I hate the smell of jasmine. The cushions will be buried... In the same grave with Radonika. Poor Radonika. I hope your highness will give her a state burial. Ah, It's most unlikely that I shall meet her in another existence. Yon rising moon that looks for us again. How oft hereafter will she wax and wane. How oft hereafter rising look for us. Through that same garden. And for one in vain. (laughs) Star Mr. Herbert Marshall returns to tell you about next week's exploit of the man called X. Here is an announcement from Lockheed. Ladies and gentlemen, tomorrow, Sunday, October first, marks another important milestone in the history of air transportation. Tomorrow, a Lockheed Lodestar, flying the colors of National Airlines, takes off from the Jacksonville, Florida airport and flies the first National Airlines schedule to New York City. Other Lockheed Loadstars will follow on regular schedules to establish the fastest airline service up and down the Atlantic seaboard. Lockheed congratulates National Airlines on the inauguration of this new service, a progressive step that is typical of many other United States airlines. Most of them started small, and with the support of air-minded Americans extended and expanded, until today our nation is a vast network of integrated air systems. Yes, the nation's airlines have established a progress record unmatched by any other American industry. And this is only the beginning. Tomorrow, after victory, new planes and new routes will make the entire world part of the airline network, a system that you and every American can enjoy. And now a word from our star, Herbert Marshall. Next week, you'll find me high among the peaks of the Eternal Alps in Switzerland where a simple toy music box leads to adventure, romance, and even danger. For there's a beautiful blonde involved who also proves to be a beautiful shot with a high-powered rifle. So join us, won't you, when next I return as the man called <laughs> Presented by the men and women of Lockheed Aircraft. Tonight's exploit was written by Francis Farrago. Original music was composed and conducted by Felix Mills. The entire production was under the direction of Jack Johnstone. Mr. Marshall's appearance is through courtesy of Metro Golden Mayer, producers of the Technicolor picture Kismet. The men and women of Lockheed invite you to join Mr. X again next Saturday. Same time, same station. John McIntyre speaking. This is the Blue Network. Ladies and gentlemen, Lockheed presents Mr. Herbert Marshall as the man called X.
2: Look to Lockheed for leadership.
3: The men and women of Lockheed Aircraft present... Herbert Marshall in The Man Called X, produced and directed by Jack Johnstone. The Man Called X. He is the man who crosses the ocean as readily as you or I cross towns. He's the man who travels today as you and I will travel tomorrow. He is the man who fights today's war in his unique fashion so that tomorrow's peace will make the world a neighborhood for all of us. He is the man called X.
1: Tonight...
3: Mr. X spins the globe and puts his finger on the Balkans, where he searches for an unknown but notorious international criminal. But right now, his mind is far from the troubled world, as he and his fiancée, Nancy Bessington, listen to Vals Bluette in the Gamut Music Shop on East 44th Street in New York City.
0: That's beautiful, Ken.
3: Then we'll take it, my dear.
0: Hmm. Do you think uh, they could play that for our wedding march, darling?
3: Well, it might be rather tough to waltz down the aisle, to. <laughs> Mendelssohn and Vargley will probably turn over in their graves, but if you insist...
0: Have you decided to take it, sir?
3: Yes, will you wrap it, please?
0: Certainly. It'll just take a moment. Ah, darling, do you realize how many things we have in common? Good music, good books, good... Ken. Ken, are you listening? Petco. What did you say, Ken?
3: Petko Todorovich.
0: Pet who? Ken, where are you going?
3: Nancy, that man just leaving the shop. Darn it. Now, which way did he go?
0: Ken, what under the sun are you?
3: Petko. I lost him in the crowd.
0: And just who is Petko, if you don't mind?
3: I haven't seen him since we were at school together in Switzerland.
0: School? Oh, an old friend.
3: Very close friend, Nancy.
0: Well, thank goodness. For a minute, I thought you were getting mixed up in one of those things again. But, Ken, you still haven't told me how you got Petco's address.
3: From Jimmy Hale on the Globe. Come on, Petco, open up. I'd heard he was coming over here as representative of Tito's government.
0: Oh. Well, then this isn't just a social call, after all.
3: Funny. Why, it's open. Petko, are you home, or.
0: Ken. Ken in that chair. Petko. Look at Emmys. Yes, Nancy.
3: Shot through the heart.
0: But, Ken, why? I
3: don't know. He was here on important business for his government.
0: And he must have been working when it happened. See, here's his typewriter. Oh, well, he, he was just writing a letter. It's to somebody named Anna. But it may give us some idea. Anna. But you know her, Ken?
3: His wife, Nancy. Anna was in Switzerland the year I met Petko. She was very lovely. Oh? I was in love with her, too. Oh. But I left after that summer, and they were married a couple of years later. Oh, it would be a terrible shock to her. They were devoted.
0: Well, uh, what does the letter say, Ken?
3: Dearest Anna, you will never know the agonies I've suffered being away from you. And you will never know how I feel having to leave you again. But, my darling, day and night I dream of the time when we may be together once more. So bless you. And a million kisses from your loving Petko.
0: I didn't know either of them, but... Makes me feel terrible.
3: Nancy, you had the right hunch when I saw Petko leave the music shop. This is one of those things. Mrs. Anna Todorovich, 1719 Tsar, Dietl Street, Sofia, Bulgaria. Yes, Chief. That envelope, already addressed, lay beside the typewriter. They must have moved from Belgrade when Yugoslavia was overrun by the Nazis. Hmm. Find anything else, Ken? Uh,
0: the violin, Ken.
3: has a violin. I didn't know he played. But here's the important thing, Chief. In the medicine cabinet, wrapped inside an ordinary gauze bandage roll, I found this. Here. Microfilm. Let's see. Hmm. Look at it through this glass, Ken. I know. Three million marks. Borrowed by the Reichsbank from the Belgrade State Bank, Anton Gubek, director. Anton Gubek. Just a minute. Miller, Duprovsky... Rachek Gubek. I thought I saw that name on the list. Anton Gubek left New York on a plane this morning for Sofia, Bulgaria. Oh? But why Sofia? There's a branch of the Belgrade Bank there. So that's why Petko was here. Hmm? He must have had evidence that one of his fellow Yugoslavs was in secret collaboration with the Nazis. He traced him to New York and was about to expose him. But Gubek got to him first. Could be. Chief, do me a favor. Well... Keep this quiet until I have a chance to see Anna Todorovich and tell her about Petko. Oh,
0: but Ken, Anna is in Bulgaria.
3: Yes, my darling, Bulgaria. Oh! landing at Sofia in five minutes. Sofia, sir. The plane continues on to Istanbul, Cairo, Salon, and Sydney, Australia. You may change... Plains for Lucarest, Oscar Hard, that's back there. I'm sorry, I know. You and Petco must have been so happy together.
9: Oh, it's too happy. Oh, Ken. Why? Why Petko?
3: Later, Anna. We'll talk about that later.
9: But I must know. What did he say to you when you saw him?
3: Unfortunately, the only time I saw him was just a glimpse as he was leaving a music shop. Oh. By the way, I never knew Petko was a violinist.
9: Oh, he just played for his own amusement. Oh. He loved music. He loved everything beautiful. Oh. Oh, no,
3: Anna, dear, don't.
9: Oh, I... Don't. I'm all right now, Ken.
3: Anna, do you know a man named Anton Gubeck?
9: Anton Gubeck? No, Ken. Should I?
3: Not particularly. I have an idea he's not a very nice man.
9: But who is he, Ken?
3: The director of the Belgrade Bank. He has offices here in Sofia.
9: But, Ken, what has this to do with Petko?
3: That's exactly what I want to find out. From Mr. Gubeck. <laughs>
2: Gubek,
1: Yes?
3: My name's Thurston. Well, what can I do for you? Mr. Gubek? do you know a man named Petko Todorovic? Todorovic? No, I'm afraid I don't. Todorovic was found dead a few days ago in New York City. So? What has that to do with me? He was in possession of a photostatic record of dealings between this bank... And the Reichsbank, Bank. My dear man, what bank has not had dealings at one time or another with banks of other countries? After all, finance is international. I'm afraid I fail to understand the purpose of your visit. Oh, I think you do understand. And is there any reason why you shouldn't tell me what you know? I haven't said I know anything. Well, in case you change your mind, you can reach me at the Grand Palace Hotel. Why should I change my mind? Because the police might be interested in knowing that you left New York... On the day Torovich was murdered. More coffee, Anna? No, thank you, Ken. Feel better now?
9: Much. Thanks to your dear self. Petko always said the best cure for grief was music, food, and laughter. You have given me all three tonight.
3: Anna, think a minute. Are you sure Petko never mentioned Anton Gubek?
9: I have been thinking ever since you spoke of him, but you see, I knew very little about Petko's business affairs. And since we came to Sofia, practically nothing at all.
3: What will you do now, Anna?
9: Go back to Belgrade, or perhaps even to your America.
3: Ah, gypsy music is the same all over the world, but this is one of the best groups I've heard in a long time.
9: <laughs> Gancho's gypsy violins are very popular. Do you see how some of the players wander around among the tables?
3: Oh, I certainly do. But believe me, Anna, no gypsy wrote that song. And that arrangement.
5: So you do not care for my improvisations. Well, what else can one play in a cheese
3: box like that? <laughs> Zegon Zellsmith. Hello, Mr. Thurston. I thought you'd never get here to Sofia. But it was worth waiting for. Will you introduce me? Hmm? Oh, yes, yes, Madame Todorovich. Miss Zellsmith. Hello. Poet, scientist, musician, and admirer of beautiful women. I kiss your hand, madame. <laughs> well. <laughs> you might as well sit down, Zegon. I suppose it's pointless for me to ask you how you happen to be in Sofia. Or is it just an unhappy coincidence? Surely, Mr. Thurston, you didn't expect me to abandon you in such a crisis. Why not? You've done it before. Yes, but only for money, and in case of extreme necessity. And speaking of necessity, Mr. Thurston, there is a
5: little item... What already? Well, in addition to the normal traveling expenses, it was expensive to find out your destination. Taxi drivers, baggage masks... Not
3: a penny, Zegar. Our relationship at the present is purely social. Oh, well, I... (laughs) In that case, I guess I'd better get back to my wretched job. Now, just a minute. What does Anton Gubek mean to you? Oh, you are a very fine psychologist, Mister Thurston. When you say Gubek, I think of money. Go on. What else? <laughs> what else is there to think of, Mister Thurston? All right. What do you know about Gubek? Well, I know he returned to Sofia on this afternoon's plane. This afternoon. Yes, I understand that Mr. Gubek was delayed in Cairo. As a matter of fact, on my way down to my
5: miserable work this evening, I saw him enter his own house with his luggage. Oh? Oh, a
3: perfect abomination of Rococo. It's over there in 47 Koshkovo Boulevard. 47 Koshkovo Boulevard. Yes, and now, excuse me, Mr. X, and the beautiful madame. I must return. It is my turn to play a solo. Au revoir, madame. And if you should need further assistance, Mr. X... I have very flexible business
9: hours. <laughs> Your friend Zegon is a comedian, Ken.
3: Oh, he's amusing enough, but he's got a price list for every laugh. <laughs> Anna, I hate to bring such sort a of charming evening to a close so quickly, but I I want to talk to Gubek tonight. So if you don't mind, I'll see you home first.
9: Oh, don't, don't bother, Ken. Just put me in a cab. After all, my house is a long way from Cascovo Boulevard.
3: Yes? What do you want? Oh, officer, I came here to see Mr. Gubek. (laughs) There's Mr. Gubek in there, on the floor. Dead. Wait a minute. This isn't Gubek? No? (laughs) Well, who do you think it is? This isn't the man I talked to at Gubek's office yesterday afternoon. I don't know anything about that. But this man is Anton Gubek. Then who was the man I talked to? Just a moment. We will continue with Act Two of tonight's exploit of The Man Called X, starring Herbert Marshall. But first, a word from the men and women of Lockheed. Ladies and gentlemen, the Lockheed Constellation is the largest, fastest, highest flying land transport in use today. It is capable of carrying 64 passengers, crew, and cargo across the nation in seven hours. Its four engines provide a cruising speed of better than 300 miles an hour and the flight ceiling of well over 20,000 feet. Now, all these facts might indicate to you that while the Constellation is a fine airplane, its use will be confined to long flights between super airports. This isn't true, of course. For all its size and speed and power, the Constellation easily takes off and lands in any standard airport. Furthermore, even on short flights of 100 and 200 miles, it has been found to operate more efficiently and more economically than the ordinary two-engine transport you fly in today. Thus, while the Constellation is serving the Air Forces now, tomorrow it may serve the airport in your town. As an airline local or as a transcontinental express, it will offer you swift, comfortable, safe transportation to neighboring cities or to lands beyond the horizon. Again, ladies and gentlemen... Remember the name, the Lockheed Constellation, another example of Lockheed leadership. Now to return to tonight's exploit of Mr. X, whose search for the murderer of his friend Petko Todorovich has led him to Sofia, Bulgaria only to discover that his only suspect, Anton Gubek, dubious Yugoslav Bunker, also has been murdered. As we join him, he is in his hotel room with the ubiquitous Zegon Zelsman. Oh, Mr. X, I am humiliated at having to bring up such a personal subject, but... Uh, <clears throat> you don't look very humiliated to me, Zegon. Oh, well, I was so excited in my first solo appearance as a violinist that I neglected to conclude my negotiations with you at the cafe I don't recall any negotiations. But, Mr. X, remember, I devised the invaluable information about the unfortunate Mr. Gupek. Oh, in that case, you owe me money. Hmm. Your invaluable information ran me right up a blind alley. Well, then,
5: uh, perhaps you'll be even more interested in Mr. Maciek, president of the Macedonian National Bank.
3: Uh, such an interesting story, and not too expensive. Or well, perhaps Mr. Dobrovecci, chairman of the board of directors of the Sofia Exchange. Now, wait a minute. What kind of double talk is this, Sega? You no, know, no, not talk. Names and figures. All here. See? On this. Microfilm. Zegar, where do you get this? Oh, do not misunderstand me, Mr. X. I'm a man of scruples, but she was so beautiful. And I was only looking for her address. Well, whose address? Looking where? Why, your beautiful friend, of course, when her handbag lay on the table in the cafe. Sega, oh. it's hard to believe there could be worse scoundrels than you. But there are. And not half so amusing. Again, I am humiliated having to bring up a personal subject. Uh, Perhaps these American dollars will save you from further embarrassment. (laughs) They do. I now uh, recovered my dignity, and now, as an honorable man, I must return this property to the beautiful lady. That, Uh, Zagar, is a pleasure I shall reserve for myself. Good evening, Anna.
9: I wondered what happened to you. You didn't call, you didn't... Oh,
3: just a comedy of errors and mistaken identity, that's all. What? Now, you see, Gubek isn't Gubek at all. Or wasn't, I should say. What do you mean? Oh, I could put it this way. Gubek is dead. Long live Gubek.
9: Gubek is dead?
3: Yes, but the man I thought was Gubek is still alive. And most important of all, whoever he is, he's the murderer of Petko. And he's here in Sofia.
9: Oh, how could he be? Petko was... Was murdered in New York. And... Oh, but, Ken, dear. Let us not talk about this tonight.
3: All right. Shall we... Shall we talk about a summer in Switzerland long ago?
9: Oh, yes.
3: About our scrambling for hours to get to the top of some place only to ski down in a few seconds, laughing at time and space.
9: Ken, you remember, too. We were above the world. Out of the world. Out.
3: Did this violin belong to Petro?
9: Yes, Ken. I told you he loved to play. Just for himself.
3: Well, then he must have picked up the one he had in New York at the music shop where I saw him.
9: I wondered why he did not take this one with him, but he left so suddenly. Oh, but Ken, let us turn back big luck again. And remember. You returned to America without my ever telling you.
3: Telling me what, Anna?
9: And it was you, Ken. You, darling. Kiss me. Like you once did when
3: Anna. Something I must tell you about.
9: Yes, my
3: a letter for you. From Petko. You wrote it just before you died.
9: Oh, oh. You read it to me, again,
3: Dearest Anna, you will never know the agonies I've suffered being away from you. Oh. And you will never know how I feel having to leave you again. But my darling day and night, I dream of the time when we may be together once more. So, bless you, and a million kisses from your loving Petko.
1: Oh,
7: poor Petko.
3: Now let me read it again. Dearest Anna, you will never know the agonies I've suffered being away from you. And you will never know how I feel.
9: Ken. Ken, why don't you go on?
3: Anna, the person who began this letter didn't finish it. Yes, Petco started typing, but see, beginning here, the touch is different, a much lighter touch. Somebody else finished the letter. But who? Somebody who didn't want to be exposed as an accomplice in an international blackmail racket. Someone connected with a music shop in New York City. Sounds incredible, doesn't it? But you did use the music shop, didn't you, Anna?
9: Is this some kind of fairy tale, Ken?
3: Petko got suspicious. He had evidence in microfilm. And when he traced you to that music shop in New York, he had a hard decision to make.
9: Go on, Ken.
3: And so, when he went back to the hotel, he sat down to write you a letter. What he intended to write was, you'll never know how I feel having discovered what you really are. So, Anna, you had to shoot him, complete the letter as your alibi, and get back here.
9: And by what magic do you know all this?
3: No magic at all. I believed this letter, until you yourself showed me how wrong I was. I showed you? You were the only one who knew. I came here to see Gubek, and you made sure I wouldn't see him. Who was the man I talked to at Gubek's office, Anna?
9: Oh, you must be joking.
3: Unfortunately, this microfilm here is not very funny. Whoever this man is, he's dreamed up an insidious blackmail racket using photostatic records of secret negotiations between the Nazis and bankers in some of the occupied countries. And he's making them pay off to save their necks from their own people as their countries are liberated. You are speaking about me, Mr. X Oh, there you are, whoever you are. But not Gubek, eh? It's a schmutzige Schweinigel. So, the trademark of a Nazi. And the portrait is complete, even to the gun in your hand. This isn't a picture Mr. X It works. I don't doubt it. I've seen enough evidence that it does. Your gun worked too, didn't it, Anna? No wonder Petko didn't look me up when he came to New York. He was ashamed to let me know that his devoted Anna had turned traitor. Not only to his great love for her, but to her people, to her country. Stop it! Why did you do it, Anna? Was it money? Was it because Petko lost everything he had when the Nazis moved in? Stop! I can imagine what Petko went through when he found you in New York. When he discovered what you were doing. What you become, he tried to tell you in a letter, but you never let him finish it. Kill him, Willie. Don't let him talk anymore. Now, now stand aside, Anna. Uh,
2: the lights, who turned them off? Willie! Oh! 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 Oh!
5: Oh! Oh! I swear by the father of my father of my father, I am innocent. and I didn't do it. Zegar, you. Oh... It's you, Mr. Thurston. What big hands you have!
3: Can you, can you find the light switch? Is they gone.
5: Naturally, I just turned it off.
3: All right. There. And they've got away. You mean the beautiful lady and my friend Gancho? Gancho. So that's who he is. No, he's a
5: lot of people. But mostly he was really high a very high man once, a useful aid to von Papen himself.
3: Mm, an unpleasant character. Well, Zagon, you saved my life by turning off that light. Yes, and for no compensation either. But alas, now I am in a pickle. Gancho and his gypsies gone, my violin gone, and without a violin, Zagon is without a tongue. That'll be a new experience. But if it's a violin you want, there's one. Oh,
5: oh that's a treasure. When I played with the Amsterdam Symphony, I had a Guarnarius. On my last concert tour in Budapest,
3: it was an Amati. And now... Oh, pfui, another one of Gancho's
5: cheese boxes.
3: Wait, give me that fiddle. Why didn't I think of this before? That flat tone. Oh, it may not be a Stradivarius, Mr. X, but that is vandalism. Look, Zegon, the soundpost. It should be cheese. Instead of a solid piece of hardwood, it's a hollow tube. In it, a roll of microfilm. So this is how your friend Gancho concealed his blackmailing evidence and shipped it abroad. No wonder I could never play the Paganini cadenza from Mendelsohn's concert on a Gancho violin. Zegar, you wanted the job. You have one. I'm open to suggestion for a slight consideration, of course. You know where Gancho has gone? Not yet, Mr. X, but Zegon is not only a virtuoso, he's also a bloodhound. And so, Gancho, I risked my very life crossing the border to find you here in Yugoslavia. And how did you know where we'd be, Zegon? Do you not remember? You said the man who makes all your violins was here in this village. You are a friend of Thurston's. Why did you follow us? Oh, my dear lady, is that not obvious? You and Gancho are now in a flourishing condition, so to speak, and you will be interested in the information about Mr. Thurston at a reasonable price. Oh, so it would be much cheaper to liquidate you than to bargain with you. Oh, but the information. I'll give it to you for nothing.
1: Ken, oh,
3: Mr. X, don't surprise me like that, and please, Mr. Thurston, just, just, put, just put down that gun. Surely you don't think that? Say, I... when I know you too well, you always try to double your profit, so I followed you.
9: And now I suppose you will kill us.
3: I'm neither judge nor executioner, my dear. I'll leave that to the proper authorities. In this case, who would be more proper to judge you than your own people of Yugoslavia, whom you betrayed? What are they doing, Mr. X? I can't bear to look. I don't wonder. You're lucky you're not against that wall yourself. Please don't say things like that. How different from a pleasant summer in Switzerland a long time ago. A fine friend and a beautiful girl. Seems like two different worlds, (laughs) Segar. One of those worlds has ended. A world of treachery and terror. Before our star, Mr. Herbert Marshall returns to tell you about next week's exploit to the man called X, here is an announcement from Lockheed. Ladies and gentlemen, when the war is over and final count is taken on those American industries contributing most to victory, the nation's airlines will stand near the top of the list. Here at home, the airlines have worked tirelessly, night and day, to speed essential passengers and cargo. Overseas, the nation's airline crews operating for the Air Transport Command have flown to almost every point on the globe. Many notables have been piloted by airline men on over-ocean trips, President Roosevelt, Generalissimo and Madame Chiang Kai-shek, Generals Marshall, Eisenhower, and Arnold, Admirals King and Leahy, Queen Wilhelmina, Secretary of War Stimson, and many others. Taken together, airline crews have crossed the oceans thousands of times and have flown many millions of miles to foreign shores. Yes, the airlines of America are doing a vital job in the war effort, a job that foretells a great age of flight that you and every American will enjoy in peacetime days to come. Now, Mr. Herbert Marshall. Next week, I look forward to flying to the colorful West Indies, where a strange death occurs within the walls of an ancient church, where the only clue is a message that says nothing but okay. All leading to a climax involving a ton of high explosives. So join us, won't you, when next I return as the man called X. The plan Called X is presented by the Lockheed Aircraft Corporation. Tonight's exploit was written by Milton Merlin. Original music was composed and conducted by Felix Mills. The entire production was under the direction of Jack Johnstone. Mr. Marshall's appearance is through courtesy of Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, producers of the technicolor picture Kismet. The men and women of Lockheed invite you to join Mr. X again next week. Same time, same station. John McIntyre speaking. This is the Blue Network. The man called X. He is the man who crosses the ocean as readily as you or I cross town. He is the man who travels today as you and I will travel tomorrow. He is the man who fights today's war in his unique fashion so that tomorrow's peace will make the world a neighborhood for us all. He is the man called X. Tonight, Mr. X drops in on an adventure involving some hot jewelry, a hotter steak, and an extremely hot senorita. But at the moment, he's getting a rather cold blast from his fiancée, Nancy Bessington, there at lunch.
6: Now, look, Ken. Do you think I like the prospect of being married to a uh, human helicopter?
3: Nancy, I object. I've never been known to hover in midair.
6: But don't you realize, darling, that all this chasing around all over the world, grabbing a sandwich on the run and missing your sleep and... By
3: golly, you're right, darling. What I need is to be completely and utterly bored.
1: Ken,
6: I have some friends up on Cape Cod and they're the dullest people in the world.
3: Really? mm mm-hmm. oh, sounds like heaven. We must visit them sometime.
6: We are going to visit them this weekend.
3: This weekend?
6: I have the tickets, and we're flying up this afternoon. It's all the rain. The so people are expecting us, so you can't back out now. Nancy,
3: you're an angel, but it's impossible. I, uh, I have to, uh, um... Yes?
6: Yeah? What do you have to do?
3: I have to see a jeweler. Oh? About some diamonds.
6: Oh, Ken, darling.
3: For the chief. Chief? They're yeah, just a routine inquiry.
6: Oh, you two going steady now?
3: Purely platonic.
6: How long will it be?
2: Oh, a couple of hours, I should say. Oh, then
6: good. Then I'll fly up right after lunch. You can come up on the four thirty plane, and we'll have dinner at Cape Cod. A very dull dinner. Promise. Promise. <laughs>
3: Why, yes, yes. Uh, are you Mr. Blucher? No. Mr. Blucher is out of the store at present. That's too bad. I was advised to see him personally about uh, having a diamond reset with some smaller ones added. I'm sorry. He is not here. Do you know when he'll be back? I can't say. Uh, oh, exactly. in the, uh, the middle of the afternoon, perhaps? Perhaps. Well, as soon as he comes in, uh, have him get in touch with me, will you? I'll be at the Manhattan Health Club down the street away, in the Turkish bath. It's extremely important. For whom uh, should Mr. Blucher inquire? The name is Thurston, Ken Thurston. Thank you, Mr.
5: Thurston.
2: Hot enough for you,
3: Mr. Thurston. Oh, Axel, this is the hottest steam room in the borough of Manhattan.
2: There's one other customer, Mr. Thurston. Do you mind sharing the steam with him?
3: No, send him in.
2: Good. Don't stay in too long.
3: Don't worry, Axel, not in this heat.
2: Oh, is
5: there anything you need? A clean sheet?
3: No, no, this one's fine. Just stop back in about three minutes and sprinkle some barbecue sauce on me. <laughs>
5: oh, Phew.
3: Phew. Hello.
2: Is that you, Mr. Thurston?
3: Who's there? I can't see you for this team.
2: I'm Gunnar Blucher.
3: Oh, Blucher, the diamond cutter. Glad you got my I message. Talk
2: to you. I'm in great trouble, Mr. Thurston. Is it all right to talk here?
3: My imagine, sir, so. what's the
2: matter? I get a package in the mail this morning. What's what should I dropped in to see you it's about? It's from Holland. I opened it, and there are three huge diamonds. Uncut, but valuable for industrial uses. Worth millions. Well, less than ten minutes after package arrived, they came in and threatened me.
3: They? Who's they?
2: The man you talked to the thick glasses. Herr Schloss and his helper.
3: Where are the diamonds now?
2: Schloss made me pack them up again and address the box to a jewelry store in Buenos Aires, Argentina.
3: I get it. From there, the agent will ship the diamonds back to the Reich by way of Lisbon. Yeah,
2: yeah, that's what they do. I knew by the way you talked in the store that you must be from Washington. So I slipped away and followed you.
3: That's a long haul to get the gems through the lines to Germany. 20 miles as the crow flies, 20,000 miles by the Nazi grapevine. Will I... Will I... Go to prison, Mr. Thurston? You'll never live to go to prison if our chum with the thick glasses finds out you've been talking to me. This is some prompt activity. Not in a Turkish bath. Yeah. Come on, Blücher. Yeah. Uh-uh. The door's jammed.
2: We must get out of here. I've had enough of this steam. Lock. Open up, Axel. Unlock this door. They must have followed me. Of course they followed you. Open up, somebody. (coughs) Axel, turn off the steam. Mr. Thurston, I'm getting faint. Come on, Blucher. Let's get our shoulders against this door. We'll have to break it down. Blucher. Are you all right? Blucher. No.
5: Excellent. Everyone, open up this door. Hello, Mr. Thurston. Zegon. You seem to be in the market for highly specialized services, Mr. Thurston. Zegon. Oh, Zegon, you're a lifesaver. Unlock the door. For how much, Mr. X? How can you think of money at a time like this? It's very easy. $200 perhaps.
2: Robbery. But I'm in no position to haggle. Turn off the steam and let's get out of here. Huh? Uh, well, that's better. Now get this door open, Zegar. I'm you,
5: Mister Inspector. Huh?
3: There. Phew. God bless your mercenary soul. <laughs> oh, you were in a hot spot, huh. Mister
5: Egg, if you'll excuse the expression. It's like I happened to stop by.
3: Oh. How did you happen to stop by, Zegar?
5: Well, would Blackstone tell Houdini? After all, a man who lets his main source of income suffocate in a Turkish bus is a fool. Wouldn't you say?
3: I want to be on hand at your autopsy, Zagan. I'm sure you have a cash register for a soul. (laughs) Thank you. Where's the attendant? Bound and gagged in the closet. Ah, well, I'll be getting dressed. I'll be making out the bill for my services. Incidentally, Zagon, did you get a look at the fellow who tried to suffocate us in the steam room?
5: Mm, A few dollars might sharpen my recollection.
3: It's high time you declared a dividend. Mm. Did he or did he not wear thick spectacles?
5: Mm, I'd say he did.
3: Good. Now we know the man we're after and... Zagon! What's the matter, Mr. X?
2: My clothes are gone. (laughs) Every stitch. My wallet and keys, identification, everything.
3: Zagón.
5: Uh-oh, no, no, not me, Mr. X. When I pick, I leave the pocket.
3: I've got to get something to wear.
5: The sheet you have on is not unbecoming. Here.
3: <laughs> Look, Zagón, get out and scare me up some clothes, because I'm catching the next plane for Argentina. Yeah. sweet of you to invite yourself along, Zegar. But I am so useful
5: to you, Mr. Egg.
3: Yes, you do make a nice deduction on my income tax.
5: What is this wild goose we are chasing to Argentina? Why should I tell you? Oh, you might be a very well broiled steak by now if it weren't for me, Mr. X. Besides, how can I help you if, if I don't know why we are
3: after the man with the thick glasses? All right. Some industrial diamonds were confiscated by the Allies when we liberated Holland. Now... Our friend is trying to spirit them back to the Reich by way of Argentina.
5: Diamonds? How much do you think you have worth?
3: Millions when cut.
5: Perhaps you would like to hire me on a
3: percentage basis on this job. No fancy deals, Zegon. Cash on the line.
5: But you are so impractical, Google Mr. X. Why don't you put me under contract? You agree to pay me 10% more than the highest offer from anyone else, okay?
3: I'll be bankrupt in no time. No, Zegon. Where you're concerned, piecework is much cheaper.
5: Uh,
2: may I help you, sir?
3: I'd uh, I'd like a suite for two. Thurston's the name.
2: Mr. Thurston. Well, do you do you have a room for me? Well, but you're already registered. It's going to be Ken Thurston, T-H-U-R-S-T-O-N, <laughs> room 707.
3: Oh, it must be someone else with the same name.
2: Well, I, uh, I just took over <laughs> from the night clerk. He says he thinks this Mr. Thurston is the important special investigator that they call Mr. X. You don't say? Yes. From Washington, D.C.
3: Well. Where are you from, Mr. Thurston? Me? I'm from Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan. <laughs> For a moment, we'll continue with tonight's exploit of Mr. X, starring Herbert Marshall. But first, a word from the men and women of Lockheed. Ladies and gentlemen, the Lockheed Constellation is the largest, fastest, highest flying transport in use today. Fully loaded, 64 passengers, cargo, and crew of six, it is capable of flying from Chicago to New York in two hours, 47 minutes. From New York to London, in 13 hours, 20 minutes. From London to Paris, in 56 minutes. Now, these sample schedules are quite exciting, of course, but what makes them particularly striking is that the plane we are talking about, the four-engined Lockheed Constellation, is actually in use today. It's no manufacturer's dream. It is in use today. The Lockheed Constellation. The transport that flies better than 300 miles an hour. The transport that cruises at 20,000 feet high up in the smooth upper air. The transport that operates in and out of any standard airport with room to spare. The transport, furthermore, that even on short hops of 30 minutes has been proved more economical than the ordinary two-engine airliner. This transport, the Lockheed Constellation, is flying for the Army Air Forces today. When peace comes, it will fly for you, bringing the airport in your town hours closer to any place in the nation and to lands beyond the horizon. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, remember the name. The Lockheed Constellation. The transport of tomorrow in use today. Another example of
2: Lockheed leadership. <laughs>
3: for a fortune in uncut diamonds has led Mr. X to room 705 of the Hotel Embassadero in Buenos Aires, Argentina. Next door in room 707, another Mr. X is registered. At the present moment, Zegon Zell Smith, freelance spy and double-crosser extraordinary, is combing the room of the airsoft Mr. X while Ken lies on his bed staring at the ceiling and thinking out a plan of action. The sun has set, but Ken hasn't bothered to turn on the light. Now, where's the devil of those cigarettes? Oh.
1: Hello?
3: Well, what did you find, Sagar? Sagar... Who's that? Who's that?
6: Darling. Well, hello. Oh, okay. James. Why did you not meet me? You said you
3: would. Oh, well, uh, a number of things.
6: You still love me?
3: Love you? Of course I love you, my darling. I could no more stop loving you than I could stop Breathing.
6: Do you have a cold?
3: Yeah, 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 yes, I'm afraid I, yes, I, yeah. I caught a little cold. Suppose it makes my voice sound different, huh?
6: Very different. Oh, but then, it's no wonder you caught cold, considering where we were.
3: Yes, of course, yes. Where we were, it's no wonder I caught cold. Uh, You didn't catch cold, did you, darling?
6: Of course not. I didn't go in.
3: That's right, Yes, you didn't go
6: Dearest, we've known each other only nine hours.
3: Hardly seems that long.
6: But I know all the things you said are right and true. That's why I did exactly what you told me to. Oh, we were meant for each other, darling. I don't care what Uncle says.
3: Uncle doesn't approve.
6: I'm sure he wouldn't if he knew. He's too old to remember what it's like to be in love. All he cares about are his old beef cattle.
3: You must try to be understanding, my darling. It, uh, It is hard to get romantic with beef cattle.
6: There is just one thing that worries me, Kane. This afternoon, after we went out to the...
3: After we went where, dear?
6: You know where. I thought you had changed somehow. It's not true, is it?
3: Yes, I have changed. Much more than you think.
6: Oh, darling...
3: Wait till I press the switch on this table lamp and you'll see how much I've changed. (sighs) By heaven, you are lovely.
6: You aren't, Mr. X.
3: Opinions on that may differ, but I assure you that the chap who made love to you is not Ken Thurston.
6: What are you talking about?
3: I have a sneaking suspicion you've been getting chummy with an agent of the Nazi government.
6: Oh, I don't believe you.
3: Lady, you've apparently been sucked in by the oldest con game in the world. And it's a lucky thing you stumbled into the wrong hotel room, or you might have, you might have a real heartbreak on your hands. No,
6: oh, it's not true. He loves me. It's for you,
3: pretend. He made love to you so he could use you for a purpose. All I want to know is what you did for him.
6: I won't tell you.
3: Where were you this afternoon?
6: I don't see. Where I...
3: did you go together? What did you do?
6: Why should I tell you?
3: Because I'm on your side. Because this phony Mister X is trying to help the fourth Reich. Prepare for another world war.
6: I don't care. Yes, you
3: do care. Of course, he's the type of gentleman that's sabotaging the future happiness of kids like you. Whether you live in Buenos Aires or Bridgeport.
9: I'm in
6: love with him. You
3: think you are. You only known him nine hours. In another nine hours, you might be in love with me. Tell me, what's he up to?
6: I promise. Who's your
3: uncle? What does he pack besides beef?
6: Oh, I won't stay here.
3: Now, wait a minute. Come back. Oh, well.
5: You want me to catch her for you, Mr. X, I will chase her for nothing.
3: No, Sagon
5: <laughs>
3: No, I, um... Uh, I think we'll let her go. She may bring us some bigger game. What's with you, Zagon? You find anything in our neighbor's room?
5: He must have all his valuables with him. This hand-worn necktie was the only thing worth the taking.
3: Anything? Are you, any phone numbers?
5: Three on the back of an envelope. I called them all. One was a girl named Carmelita, one was a girl named Marjorita, and one was a and b meatpacking house.
3: Ah, now we've got something.
5: I don't think so. Carmelita and Marjorita on the telephone, they sound... Oh, boy.
3: (laughs) We'll see about them later. First, we're going to do business with the B&B meatpackers.
5: Oh, I hope you have your, your red points with you, Mr. Eggs. Wild, wild geese is all we wild geese.
3: Not this time, Sagon. I'll bet you $500 for a dozen orchids that we locate those diamonds within an hour.
5: You interest me strangely. Uh, but orchids, they are expensive.
3: Not down here. They grow like dandelions.
5: Oh?
3: All you have to do is to go out and pick them.
5: Good. It's a bet.
3: But you have to help me, Sagon. And we've got to work fast. Because I was feeling that my little girlfriend is going to send the man with the thick branches out this same road in a very few minutes. With luck, we can nab both him and the diamonds.
5: This will undoubtedly make it necessary to bring my priceless talents into play.
3: Since when have your talents been priceless? there you, go. you are now a meat inspector for the Argentinian government.
5: Oh, what's my yearly salary?
3: You won't be around long enough to collect it. Here's what you do. When you get to the packing house, demand to inspect the beef shipment which is consigned to Lisbon, Portugal.
5: Suppose there is no shipment to Lisbon.
3: Well, then you win 500 $500. But if there is a shipment for them, you'll probably see the most valuable chunk of beef in the history of the meatpacking industry. Yeah.
5: I use a gun?
3: Now, what would a meat inspector be doing with a gun? The cow's already dead, Vega. That
5: gun might come in handy.
3: Don't worry. I'll be waiting right outside here in the shadows.
5: I have a brainstorm. You go in and I wait
3: outside in the shadow. Oh, sure. And if our Nazi friend drops by and tops my price, you'll switch over to the other side. Oh, no, Zagar. You are the meat inspector. All right. What do I say? It's a bluff. There's only one watchman on duty.
5: I'm afraid I won't put on a very professional appearance. With beasts, I don't know the front from the back. I'm strictly a ground round man myself.
3: going I have implicit faith in you. But after all. And, uh. Then... There is money to be made. Mr. Eek. I go. Make it fast, Dagon. Hola. What do you want?
2: Hola,
5: I am the meat inspector. I want to examine the beef you are shipping to Portugal.
3: To Portugal?
5: Yes. You don't have some, do you?
3: A very small shipment, see? It leaves tomorrow,
5: but it has already been inspected. Not by me. I must examine it immediately. (laughs) Everybody wants to see the meat for Portugal.
3: Follow me. Here in the refrigeration room, 40 carcasses on the left-hand side. Uh, you will keep the door open for me. I we'll see. But do not take too long. We cannot let the cold air escape. I will hurry. In all
5: my care, this is the first time I ever see the pocket of a beast.
2: Watchman! Watchman! Hey, What do you want? I'm a special investigator for the United
3: States government. Here are my credentials. You may call me Mr. X. And you want to see the meat shipment to Portugal? No. I want to know if anyone else has asked to see it. See, the meat inspector is in the refrigerator examining it now. In there? See. Pardon me, please. What are you doing? The man cannot get out now. Exactly. He is not a meat inspector. He is an agent of the Nazi government. Everything he told you was a lie. And you're quite an expert on lies, aren't you? Mr. X. Mr. X. Well, did you get your diamond reset, sir? No, I never had a chance to examine your entire stock, but I think I'm going to very soon. Look behind you. My men have you covered from the doorway, Mr. X. Mr. X. You mean you wish they had me covered? Unfortunately, Herr Schloss, you came here alone, and unfortunately, I think we'll have to put you on ice for a while. Uh, Watchman, which of these refrigeration chambers doesn't have a jewelry concession? A watchman. These storage rooms, do they all lock from the outside? Oh,
2: see, see, and no windows. Well, oh, you want to lock him up?
3: That's the idea.
2: Here, yeah, I help you. May but... I
3: remind you, Mr. X, that we are not in your United States now. Here, my credentials are as good as yours. Well, try presenting them to one of those cold cuts. In you go. Oh. <laughs> there, we fix him, yes? Watchman, I have a feeling somehow that you are too much of an eager beaver. I am? Yes, and until I know whether or not you have a swastika tattooed on your chest, maybe you'd better keep him company. Oh, I know nothing of An both. old maxim of mine, when in doubt, cool both your heels. Voila.
2: Mr. Egg, Mr. Egg! You all right, Zagon?
5: I am cool.
2: Did you find the diamonds?
5: I found a very expensive beastie. Let me off, Mr. Egg.
3: What's it worth to you, Zagon?
5: What? It is no time for humor.
3: Certainly my services should be worth a moderate fee. Oh, it's very
5: cold in here with all this frozen
3: cow. Stop beefing, Zagon. Oh, two hundred dollars, perhaps.
5: Mr. X, how can you
3: think of money at a time like this? It's a talent I picked from a friend of mine named Zell Smith. Suppose we save two hundred dollars on account and I'll let you out.
5: Oh, whatever you say, i am free.
3: All that meat and Zagon's Oh, Mr. S.,
5: I... Do find... <laughs> you find anything interesting? Right back here in this...
3: <laughs> here, show me what you're talking about. This carcass that has...
5: <laughs>
3: come on, come on. What's wrong with this Billy Mignon, Zagon? Look. No. Ah, a little incision up the left flank. That's unusual. Maybe if we look inside this animal, we'll find a very valuable cut of beef. Ah, uh, okay, Zegon. Hand them over.
5: don't sir. Hand <laughs> over.
3: Hand over those diamonds or you'll be cooling your heels in here for a week. Oh, thank you. Wasn't very clever of you, Zegon. Aren't you ashamed?
5: Those little teensy winzy rocks. I didn't think they would be worth anything at all.
3: Uh, I like this story. This will cost you exactly one dozen orchids. And please remember that old packing house proverb, Zagar. A diamond in the hand is worth two in the beef. Oh, I'm sorry. God bless you. Terribly sorry I flew up here as fast as I could. Oh, sure, sure.
6: Now it's time to go home. Oh, Ken, the least you could have done was telephone.
2: Oh. Are the people dull?
6: That's ditch water. I suppose you've been chasing all over, getting shot at, ruining your digestion. Nothing
3: of the kind. It was a very calm and healthful weekend. I had some very rare steaks, even went to a Turkish bath. <laughs>
6: But why didn't you come up here to Cape Cod before it was time to go home?
3: I sort of got on the wrong plane out of New York. And, uh, oh, then I stopped to get these for you.
6: Ken, a dozen orchids. Oh, why didn't you say. Oh, honey, they're heavenly.
3: Amazing, the potency of expensive vegetation. Uh,
6: I didn't know there was a florist in all New York with orchids like this. Oh, no, there
3: isn't. I had to take a little trip to get them.
6: Oh, Ken, you didn't go all the way to Jersey.
3: Well, that general direction. Kiss and make-up.
6: Kiss and make-up.
3: Oh, well. Why don't I have sense enough to stay home? Yeah. heard of Marshall Returns to tell you about next week's exploit of the man called X. Here is an announcement from Lockheed. Ladies and gentlemen, 24 hours a day, every day, the men and women of Lockheed are building weapons of war. The swift P-38 Lightning fighter, the Navy's Ventura bomber, the famous B-17 Flying Fortress, and the majestic Lockheed Constellation. Weapons of war. Fighters, bombers, transports. This is the job of Lockheed today. But the time will come, a day of peace. And when it does, Lockheed's skill and Lockheed leadership will continue to build airplanes for the nation. Planes to maintain the peace. Planes to further the peace through national and international commerce. And perhaps planes to provide you and your family with swift transportation to the vacations of peace. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, Lockheed is a war plant. Deadly, serious, efficient. But someday it will be a peace plant. A plant that will help endow the post-war years with security and pleasure for you and all America. Now, Mr. Herbert Marshall. Next week, the ancient city of Athens, in a story which might well be called the Greece Spot, if you'll forgive me. A story in which Mr. X tries to skin the Trojan horse with the aid naturally of a beautiful and seductive young lady you will be with us, won't you, when next I return as The Man Called X. Good night.
5: The Man
2: Called X is presented by the Lockheed
1: Aircraft Corporation.